and welcome to episode 64 of the 1099 for the week of October 24th, 2016. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, drinking a giant cup of coffee at 6 p.m. on a Sunday because it's been a long-ass weekend. But with me today for uh, my second podcast of the weekend is brand new Glixel writer, Rachel Weber. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. You you should be great because you just got a job at Glixel and that is like super cool it's one of those sites that if i was still doing games journalism i think i would annoy john davison like daily and be like hey any freelance spots any full-time spots open what are you guys doing i mean like how did that opportunity come around how did this all come together um it came out of nowhere i mean i was i've been with gamesindustry.biz for about sort of five years and i've spent two of those in san francisco and um we were actually sort of planning to head back to the UK, sort of see family, and that would give me a few more job opportunities. And um, I got a, a Twitter message from Simon Cox, uh, who's also at Glixel, saying, hey, you know, we might have something you might be interested in. Do you just want to meet up? And I'm always interested in sort of meeting people in the industry and see what they're doing. So I went and met him and John in a cafe on a rainy day in San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, they sort of told me about this website that they wanted to make and um, – we were just talking about our approaches to games journalism and what we think it needed to be in the future and what kind of things we liked, who we thought were great writers. And they sort of said, well, you know, we'd be interested in you joining us. And I was like, yeah, no, that, that sounds really interesting. And then they said, oh, and by the way, we're working with Rolling Stone. <laughs> so I tried to play it very cool. I was like, interesting, interesting. And then I think I'd been out of the cafe for about two minutes and I just sort of called my boyfriend and I was screaming into the phone like, it's Rolling Stone. <laughs> um, so that that changed everything. I mean, I would have been interested anyway because of um, those guys' background and uh, the, what they were sort of pitching the site to be. But having that kind of uh, the Rolling Stone backing and you know the Rolling Stone style as, as a kind of a guide, that really just made it a, a must must take opportunity yeah and it gives it even more credibility because of course like john davison i feel like has been an editor or some sort of leading role at every games website that's ever existed but like when you get you know the rolling stone behind you there's some security there in an industry where everyone is reaching for like that secure job especially if you if you actually find it you hold on to it before gamesindustry.biz uh which you know brendan sinclair i just talked to him he was at that site what sort of experience did you have like what were you were you freelancing a lot before or uh did you have any other full-time jobs yeah no my first job and the one i had before gamesindustry.biz was um i started out as a staff writer on official playstation magazine in the uk um which before then i'd actually been in kind of like office work but always wanting to write always loving video games and uh i just kind of took a took a chance and applied when um, future publishing in the UK were looking for uh, looking for writers again they didn't really say what the project was but you had a pretty good idea because of the people that were on it um, that it was going to be a PlayStation brand and uh, yeah went for the the job interview I think it went okay you know I, I, yeah. I, I it was a fun thing didn't hear anything for ages and then finally um yeah got a call saying you would like you to come in and, and join us and found out it was you know going to be the sort of official playstation magazine right as the playstation 3 came out so and that was amazing that was a, a great kind of uh i think it was there about close to five years just working from completely the bottom up i mean when i started i didn't know anything i'd sort of done a bit of freelance writing doing like helping out with the way everyone who writes sort of starts out <clears throat> i think these days like doing a little bit here and there like doing some stuff for free doing some stuff 
for a very low wage freelance. And yeah, so doing it full time, I went in, I really had no idea what to expect and just learned so much there. I mean, official PlayStation magazine was, was a great publication. It was a great team. Um, we did all kinds of things, you know, we did podcasts and photo shoots and we launched a digital magazine, which is what we called it at the time called first play that people could sort of download through the, um, the PlayStation store and, Mm. That involved, you know, a lot of sort of script writing and voiceover work and stuff. So I got a really good sort of rounded education in my first job. And then from there, went to gamesindustry.biz where I'd been for about five and a half years before um, moving on to Glixel. So, and I mean, that that change was a big one going from sort of consumer official PlayStation magazine, you know, lots of kind of fun and jokes and to gamesindustry.biz, which was suddenly you're talking to CEOs and, you know, having to have opinions on earnings reports and you know a lot more kind of serious stuff so both of those jobs sort of combined to give me a pretty good um overview of the industry i think gamesindustry.biz is i uh, when i was a news writer i really enjoyed looking at it because i i love reading interesting interviews with like ceos and developers and stuff like that and there's always great quotes but it's it's very different from most things out there like it's 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 a super different site from like a GameSpot or an ign or an enthusiast thing like that i see glixel as something that's also different like you mentioned you had that pitch from john and that you know here's what we're doing rolling stone backing but i mean in your mind what excites you about writing for a site now like glixel what do you kind of how do you see this site fitting in the current games media landscape i think it's what they're aiming for, and I think what excited me about it was that they sort of see in the same way that, you know, Rolling Stone covers films and music, that games deserves that attention as well. Like, it's not just, you don't just have to talk about games in terms of here's a screenshot and here's a review and here's, you know, you can actually approach them from, okay, well, what does what does this game mean and how does this game um, connect with other things that are happening in popular culture and, you know, how does, what does, you know, this film say about what people think of video games and vice versa and i think being able to sort of come in from a much wider angle and and talk to creators but also fans and then people that are sort of very tangentially attached to video games really really excited me because i think um as games grows up you know it's sort of there's parts that are getting more mainstream and then there's parts that are sort of splitting off and becoming quite sort of their own like niche cult mm-hmm. uh, cultures and I think they're just as interesting as kind of the big hot AAA stuff I mean I love the big hot AAA stuff as well yeah. but you know I I think the thing that's always attracted me to to journalism wh- wherever I've been doing it you know either at games industry or, or the more consumer side is it's really the people that I think have I so many interesting things to say and are doing so many interesting things um, and I think at Glixel we'll just be able to sort of find more of those people and talk to more of them and sort of share their stories. Do you think the audience has matured enough to a point where that writing is going to be in high demand? Because in my perfect world, it is. In my perfect world, you can talk to the, you know, the lead art designer on an indie game and really get down into like a design level thing that's interesting and hear this person's story and how he got to it. And like that fascinates me or talking about the culture of games fascinates me. But right now I feel like there's definitely the how you know people are going right toward the here's a new horror game where people are screaming at it on YouTube, which as someone who just helped release a horror game, I'm not poo-pooing that. But like <laughs> there's there's this certain aspect where I think I, I maybe worry is the wrong word, but I think people go to games for 
you know, listicles, reaction videos, and places where they can argue whether the Xbox is better than the PlayStation. So do you think we're turning a corner where we can actually regularly talk about games more seriously? Or will you have to really support a lot of that content on Glixel with here's the top 10 VR games that'll make you pee yourself because it's so scary? I think there's a, a place for both of those. I think um, I would I would happily click on an article that's like the top 10 VR games that will make you pee yourself. Like I would read I'm that in a heartbeat. That now. This yeah. actually might be pretty good. <laughs> uh, but then all, equally, you know, I'm really interested to go deeper and talk to designers about, you know, how they construct horror in a VR universe and things like that. You know, I think th- I think there's a bit of both. And I think I know that because I am one of those people. And I think we're getting to a point where there's more and more people that have grown up with video games. So they're not like a weird new thing. Mm. You know, we're adults that have had video games in our lives the whole time. And we want to read about them and, you know, discuss them in a, in a different way than perhaps we have in the past. And I think you can see it in kind of um, in popular culture as well. Like, you know, I, I think of things like House of Cards where, uh, you know, Frank is sort of that became part of the narrative almost like this love of <clears throat> video games that he had you know and and things shows like Westworld which you know we've we've done some um a story uh, on Glixel about that but that you know that's that's literally a a popular show about a video game and then you've got Ernest Cline writing Ready Player One which is is going to get a big adaptation and I think there's you know there's it's growing up around it alongside the sort of the YouTube side of things and that I that again I find interesting you know I'd love to sit down and 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 talk to some of those top YouTubers about you know the way they deal with games and streamers I think the streaming culture is is so fascinating I mean we watch a lot of Twitch in my house and um the way that those like these are young guys but young guys that are kind of you know 20 20 something that have managed to out of playing their favorite game online build whole sort of business empires that they're now running at the age where most of us like could barely you know look after ourselves they're kind of now the heads of teams of people and you know i think that i think the whole industry is at a bit of a sort of a turning point and i think there's there's room for everyone and there's a, a lot of different types of audiences out of there um that we can that we can appeal to and i i think having that backing of rolling stone people know the Rolling Stone brand when it comes to one that, when they want to read about the films they love and the music they love. And I think games should absolutely be a part of that in the future. I think it's good that you do, you, like you mentioned, you watch a lot of streaming because I think it's good to have an understanding of what else is out there. I think if you get stuck in the, you know, it always has to be the game informers and the IGNs and the writing and the traditional review preview cycle. And, and but I think it's it's important to see why do people really get into streams? Why do people, why does this YouTuber have you know, 1.2 million subscribers to understand why that is. And it might be able to help you with your future coverage. And I, I'm not someone who watches a lot of streams, but again, not to keep promoting the game that just came out, but like, and now having just helped release a game, like I've been watching a lot of streams, people playing it. Cause I feel like that's part of my job as a community manager. And I spent four hours watching this popular streamer play the entire thing on Twitch. And <laughs> that's a unique experience for me. Cause like I loved every minute of it. And I was starting to understand why people were getting into it, and it was cool to see. But in general, it's something that every once in a while I feel like an old man because I'm just like, I don't know why people are watching this stuff. And uh, talking about like trends in the industry because I, I feel like YouTube like blew up and then kind of settled down a bit, and then streaming blew up and settled down a bit. Do you think that we're going to see a swing back 
towards writing it all. Uh, we were talking earlier before we started recording about Vice with Austin Walker and Zam having this bigger focus. And now there's Glixel. So there's, there's these three sites that are with a main focus on writing that are starting to come into prominence. And this is after seeing Joystick go away, Game Pro, and it seemed like all that writing was going away almost to a certain extent. Do you think people are investing in this space again? And do you think it's more than just big brands trying to put a lot of money on a hot thing like video games? Yeah, I think people have sort of seen YouTube and streaming and things like that. And a lot of people, you know, when that was first happening, rushed to invest in that space. But I think you need, you know, the two things alongside each other. I think they they work very well together because, you know, those kids that are watching top streamers or top YouTubers, they they want more to that experience as much as anyone. So, you know, where else are they going to be able to read about, you know, maybe a bit of a profile on that streamer or a profile on that YouTuber? And, you know, they're kind of like, in a way, for the games industry, the it reminds me a lot of when I see the sort of reactions and the numbers of people watching streamers and the way that the fan communities around streamers um, react. It reminds me a lot of the way I used to be with like boy bands when I was a teenager, <laughs> you know, it's that same kind of thing. And I, as you know, as a, um, a younger person, when I was uh, obsessed with something, be it like an actor or a band or, you know, anything like that, like I wanted all kinds of content yeah. around that you know i would i would read about them i would you know look them up online i would you know i would watch them themselves doing you know performances and stuff so i think people are understanding that twitch twitch and youtube they're like a part of the culture and they i think they're going to be a part of the culture forever mm. but they're not the only culture it's not you know it's not that binary it's not like oh no one's going to read anymore they're all going to watch youtubers there's room for there's room for both and um and we you know we all need each other you yeah. know we i think there was a lot of when especially when um i was on a, a print magazine there was a lot of kind of fear around youtube streaming wasn't happening then but the you know and there was a lot of fear about like what video meant and what that kind of people these kids that were able to set up in their bedroom and get you know a bigger audience than we could um just by sort of playing games and talking about them there was kind of a nervousness and maybe a little bit of jealousy and a bit of kind of fear of, of that. And I, I hope that's going away. I hope people realize that um, they're as vital to the sort of video game space as the old school stuff because, you know, we need we need new gamers. And uh, if someone's first experience is, you know, watching streamers playing Minecraft and then they come in and then they want a bit more and they want to read about it more and they want to go deeper, then they come to us. And I think that's great. Yeah, and I, I, I think there's a certain level of it that might be cannibalizing writing, but I also think it's they're very different things. Now that I've watched a lot more of it, it feels very different where like just because streamers and YouTubers are big doesn't mean, like you said, like no one's going to read writing. And I think the boy band comparison actually is really apt because people follow these people like they're celebrities, the, yeah. these certain streamers, and they really get this audience to a point where sometimes I think they almost like look up to them to a certain extent. I was watching this youtuber who apparently like a younger audience is very much into because he doesn't swear or anything like that and it sounded like he swore in a recent video and about 300 comments were like oh no i hope you didn't swear i really wish you didn't swear because they're like these kids who look up to this person and that was this bizarre reality to me that i didn't know how deep that rabbit hole goes and again the more i dig into it the more it just feels very different from what else is out there uh and 
speaking of very different from what else is out there. I think when I was talking to uh, John, he's taught, he was, he, we were talking about the type of content that Glixel might produce um, and how he doesn't want it to be the regular, like, here's a preview, here's all this news, here's the review. Has Have you guys talked kind of about, I know you're doing some content now before the proper site launches, and there's a newsletter and everything like that, but have you guys talked about whether or not you want to do traditional reviews and news and the types of features most people do, or are you going to go in a different direction? I think our aim is just kind of to do our own takes on those things. So, you know, we've got people writing about, you know, we just had someone sort of reviewing games of war, uh, games of war, gears of war for (laughs) us. Uh, And it's, you know, it's a great read and it sort of explains what's good about the game and how it's going to make you feel, but it's not a traditional review in the sense of the sound is excellent. The gameplay, you know, the mechanics are Mm. this way. I think there's, there's a place for reviews now that's very different. I mean, as we were talking before about, you know, YouTube and Twitch perhaps cannibalizing some of some of the sort of um, the space that games journalism in the written form used to take up. I think possibly previews are one area where that is an issue because, like, why would you read a preview that's just a straight up, like, here's what I saw and here's what I did when you can watch someone for yourself? You know, you yeah. can see the game. You can get that feeling. Um so I think things like reviews and, you know, preview kind of content, like first looks at games and things, I think the way Glixel hopes to approach is to be adding something else. You know, what's this saying? How is this making us feel? Like, what else can we, what other perspective can we bring to this? And I think it's the same with news. I think there's plenty of sites you can go to out there if you just want, okay, here's someone just released a press release. We've managed to get like a, the nuts and bolts of it up in 15 minutes on a site that's fine and there's sites that will do that for you but I think the way you know I'm I'm news editor there and so I'm looking at I'm really thinking about that especially as we get closer to a launch where we'll be sort of putting new content up every day and what I would like to do is you know when news breaks okay let's just look at it take a breath it's let's not worry about being first necessarily let's worry about what you know how can we sort of explain this to the rolling stone audience why can we how can we say why this is important if it is or like what effect this can have um so most recently we did you know this week there was sort of uh valve had their steam dev days and they had a prototype of a new controller there and um news a lot of sites put news up where like there was a few sort of photos of twitter and everything and we sort of actually went to um found some developers there that had tried it and and got you know how does this feel what do you as a developer think this is going to change about the way you make games and you know we try to take it that next step further and have a look at what that means for you know the the culture and um just kind of give it that extra level of 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 insight and i think that's something i hope we can continue to do Mm -hmm. um that's certainly an aim um but yeah, I mean, the, one of the most interesting things about Glixel and exciting things for me is that um, we really are like the equivalent of a startup. <laughs> we yeah. are, you know, we're we're figuring out a lot of stuff as we go along. We've got a very strong vision about, you know, what we want to be and the quality we want to produce. Um, and the rest of it is kind of like, okay, let's see, you know, how we can make this work and let's see what we can do and, um, you know, and what people respond to. So. Yeah, I'm really hoping that um, I'll be able to pull that off when it comes to the news as well. I mean, yeah, that has to take uh, a while to figure that out, to figure out like, okay, what's actually working? Because you can look at news and be like, okay, well, 
we're going to take our time with all these new stories and we're going to make sure that we kind of give it our own personal spin. But what if suddenly like, you know, being first is more important or that's what people are looking for. It has to be kind of a trial and error thing. And same thing even with re- reviews, because uh, I think what I was talking about with John was the, the kind of experiential review where instead of doing this boilerplate you know, the visuals are good, the story's great, and this and blah, 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 math equation, 8 out of 10. Uh, he was talking kind of about, and maybe that was something with the Gears of War review you guys did, where it's much more personal. It's much more like, uh, I always look back at Grantland, and Grantland was something that John brought up when we were talking about the kind of the yeah. origin of Glixel, where uh, Jason Concepcion was writing this Metal Gear Solid Five article which wasn't a review but kind of gave his opinion on it while saying like here's this amazing experience i had in this certain mission and how it made me feel and the mechanics behind it and while he's talking about this sequence he's basically saying everything you need to know about the game and what it's what it's like without going into the boilerplate you know five paragraph essay from high school review style uh and that super fascinated me with like super fascinated me like would you ever want to be like would you consider that like the ultimate goal of we want to be the grantland of video games or would you rather just be the glixel of video games and not worry about comparisons uh i think with all due respect to to grantland who you know and i love uh that some of the writing that came out there was you know some of my favorite pieces about video games but i think we're very you know we are going to be People in hopefully in a few years will be saying like we want to be the Glixel. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's I think we we there's a lot of things we've seen from other sites in the past that they've done very well and a lot of things we love and we want to kind of take that and make it our own and improve on that and you know bring something kind of new as well. So hopefully you'll see that as well. Hopefully you know the content we've been putting out in newsletters so far is giving an indication of where we're hoping to go and uh, and i think the once the site's up and running that will only only grow and expand speaking of growing and expanding what's the kind of staffing process been like i i've seen a lot of uh, freelancers i recognize which is awesome to see because any any new place that starts up that like starts paying great freelancers i'm all aboard on that but is it going to be like five or six full-timers and then a lot of freelancers are you guys gonna add a lot more full-time people what's kind of the plan there I mean, I think at the moment we are currently have six of us in the office um, and there's kind of uh, four of us on editorial. Um, and I think that's the plan for the moment and then sort of build as we see fit, really. We're always looking for new freelancers that can sort of deliver that story and deliver pieces with very much their own voice and their own angle on things, you know. And so, you know, if anyone does think they, they fit that bill, please do get in touch with us because um, – good freelancers are like uh gold dust (laughs) so um you know if you think you're one of those please do let us know but yeah i think we're gonna look to have a lot of freelance work because you get some great voices and some great variety there and and you know i know personally to me like diversity is very important in Mm -hmm. the kind of um the voices and the content that we're putting out on the site so um the more of that the better and then yeah i mean hopefully we will sort of grow and, and fill out our office a bit more as as needed as we as we get going but i mean i've been there a week so yeah <laughs> I, no i'm, I'm looking uh, for all of the answers after your yeah, week of being I, there. I expect uh, everything uh it's uh, one thing that i'm just like fascinated by right now uh is vr oh no same i think vr is the most exciting thing that's happened in the industry since i've been writing about it in like the last 10 years I'm... And it's so weird because if you haven't have you played have you used multiple headsets 
Yeah, yeah, I've been lucky enough to because I the minute I first tried the Oculus DK one, which was mainly duct tape, um, <laughs> I was sold on it. So I've made a point of, um, a, you know, through my time at Games Institute Biz and now at um, Glixel, I've really made a point of seeking out um, VR tech and VR developers and just trying to try it as much as possible because I think one of the tricky things about it both writing about it and um, for the companies that are kind of as you know yourself uh, sort of selling VR games is it's so hard to describe and it's so hard to get across in any way other than letting someone try it that I think is the major challenge especially as you who's like if you're going to choose to devote a lot of resources to covering VR there's this massive audience who has this blowback to it because they think it's gimmicky or they think it's just going to be a trend and i'm not saying like once you put on the headset you'll just everything's different man like i'm not trying to preach it like that but it's such a weird thing to try to promote because it is so different from just seeing a normal game on a screen i mean what's the tactic there what's the tactic is it just that like we'll cover it and if it doesn't get a lot of press we'll move away from it like have you seen a lot of people reading any of the articles that you guys have done uh about vr there's a genuine interest in it because I think it's sort of, and in a strange way, it goes beyond, you know, people who don't necessarily think they're interested in games are still interested in VR mm-hmm. because I think it falls into a kind of part of the mainstream consciousness that we, you know, we all grew up with Star Trek and, you know, sci-fi and stuff like that. And so I think even people that would never consider themselves gamers have this curiosity and this awareness of VR, at least as a concept um you know like I, I you know like my parents fall into that category like you know um neither of them are sort of huge gamers my dad does love a bit of world of warcraft but they're 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 not sort of you know you don't go into their house and you're falling over like the latest tech you know mm. but they are absolutely to them vr is something that they've been reading about since they were a kid and they're so excited by it and I think that is um, infectious and I think that that will drive a lot of um, sales of headsets outside of the usual gaming audience. Um, And I think you'll start to see it more and more. I think you'll see it. It'll be kind of like the Wii was where people had them in their homes. They had friends come around. The friends tried it. They liked it. They went and got a Wii, (laughs) you know, and it sort of, it spread that way, you know, um, and I think especially with, um, you know, Google making progress in that area with sort of their cheaper headsets and um, and even Google Cardboard and, and the Gear VR and, and things like that. I think those prices on those will drop. And then I think there'll be so I think there'll be two levels. There'll be the sort of the audience that is quite happy with the kind of mobile version, maybe a lighter version that you're not going to need a lot of sort of you're not going to need a console or a big PC for. And then you'll have people like me who are quite <laughs> happy to have a house full of wires. Um, and want you know the latest and greatest experiences and I think um, but I think it's here to stay and I think um, the interest we're seeing sort of backs that up I, I do hope so and I think you're right that there's going to be the two levels and maybe even more levels than that but right now it feels yeah. like the main levels are here is the like the vibe the, the rift level of you need this big rig PC and you need to be wrapped in 30 wires so you can barely move while you're using it or <laughs> here's this like you know $400 PlayStation VR headset which uh is 
little, you know, inherently not as powerful as the bigger ones, but it works for a lot of people. And I have seen this wave of uh, people new to VR who are really excited about it. And they're like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this, having that first VR experience. And the PlayStation 4 seems like the perfect platform for it because there's like, what, 40, 50 million, something like that units out there. So everyone already has this device that could play it. Uh, and here's this not an upgrade to your console, but this whole new peripheral that changes the way you interact with games. And it's just, I think covering it has to be super bizarre, but it's going to be extremely interesting to see not only how people adapt to it and actually start using it, but the games that come out of it after that first wave, after developers actually learn like, okay, well, this doesn't work, or this way of movement isn't good, or this one really works, or let's try this. And that'll be... you. Since you have 18 VR headsets, have you <laughs> seen any interesting indie projects or otherwise that are doing something that feels unique to VR? I think the ones that interest me, I mean, I, as much as anyone, are as a fan of like, you know, the ones that are real sort of gut punches, like the, uh, the I think, racing ones uh, mm. uh, and things like that. And I think they're super fun, but my big interest in it is um, narratively. Like, I'm really excited to see what people do with it in terms of using it as a new way to tell stories in games. Um, one of the things I, I, you know, really loved was um, a company called Motional, um, which is run by an ex-Pixar guy. He created uh, this, like, a short demo called Gary the Gull, where you are sat on a beach and a seagull comes down and he starts talking to you. And he reacts to your responses so you can kind of um, have very basic conversation with him and he reacts to your gestures. So if you try and get too close to him, he gets kind of annoyed and will eventually fly off if you keep pushing your luck. Mm. Um, And he's trying to make you turn around basically so he's saying he can see things behind you because he wants to get into your picnic box um and that is so simple but the connection i felt with that character was so immediate (laughs) and i you know i found myself not wanting to upset him even though i'm (laughs) fully aware that it is you know it's not a real seagull that is talking to me but i you know i was looking behind me even though i knew he was lying because I didn't want him to be upset. Yeah, it's, so, um, it's one of the weirdest things you know. where like it, there's something yeah. about being in VR and being around another person who is like around of the same height of you in VR where you're like there's this weird thing in your mind where you have a greater connection to that person. You, even, even if it's a, like a villain or anything like that, it, it changes how you see that individual. And it was one of those mind freaks that I wasn't prepared for. There's a lot of things that you're not prepared for in VR. You're not ready to randomly, like, even with a controller, try to reach out and grab someone. If it's a PS4 controller, like, wait, no, that's not my arm. Or if you see yourself in the mirror in a VR game and it's actually the character you're playing and not you, it's just this complete brain disconnect that uh, I have barely adapted to. So there's just so many things where I'm like... Man, someone like there are going to be people down the line that really, really get experience with this and do something that is just mind bending. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm excited as well that I think in the same way that the audience for VR is sort of spreading outside of the usual kind of gamer communities, I think the you can see that in the development as well. So a lot of people who are traditionally from the film world um, are suddenly interested in making content for VR. And I think that's really exciting. I mean, one of the ones I'm most excited about, I think, is Elijah Wood's production company, Spectavision, are Mm -hmm. doing something, doing like a horror with Ubisoft. Um, 
I'm really excited to see how that turns out and what that turns out to be. But uh, yeah, so for me, it's I'm you know I love the big sort of roller coaster rides as much as anyone, but it really is going to be the stories people tell, and that's the same the way I am in you know the video games I play traditionally, as we now call it, traditional video yeah. games. Oh man, um, you know I'm I'm all about story. Like that's you can whether it's an indie game or a big AAA. Like I need there to be a sort of a narrative thread that pulls me through um, to keep me interested. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I'm one of those people right now where I'm like on the fence with Mafia Three because everyone's like, "Oh, it's there's some glitchy stuff," and also like you know some of the open world stuff doesn't come together, but the story is really interesting. I'm like, well, that's kind of all I want. Like I'm kind of okay if this if the surrounding stuff is like a C, but the the actual story is like AA plus. I will probably play that game. So yeah. like that's where I'm usually fall with that kind of stuff. Uh, we were talking earlier about how cool it is that you are now writing for a site that is associated with Rolling Stone. Um, how excited slash scared are you to have your work edited by people at the Rolling Stone? Like, do you, do you have people outside of the Glixel family who will actually look at some of your work and help to change it in some way? Or do you basically just have your work edited by uh, people on the Glixel staff? No, I mean, we do both. We do both really. So we have, um, we look at each other's work a lot and we look at the work that comes in from freelancers a lot. And then we also have um, some people on the Rolling Stone editorial side, God bless them, who must never sleep because obviously we work uh, West Coast hours. Um, But they, yeah, they are always there to give us suggestions and they will look at things uh, and they will be, you know, they will be brutal. Like they will say, you know, don't get it. Like don't, don't understand. This isn't, this isn't Rolling Stone, this isn't right. Hmm. Um, and equally, they'll say, you know, sometimes there's a piece that we're not sure and they'll go, no, we love it. So it's it's terrifying, but kind of I've always thought that the way you get better is with good editors. So um, I much prefer it than feeling like I'm just sort of like throwing something into the abyss without, <laughs> without <laughs> anyone else seeing it. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I think it will be a great experience to to be edited by those guys and and hear their takes on it and because I think you know on Rolling Stone we're, maybe the audience is is slightly different from what we've all experienced before in traditional games press you know mm-hmm. and um and I think that's that's exciting that's being able to sort of talk to a new audience after all this time is is you know going to be really interesting what what editors did you have coming up what sort of editing background because i you mentioned i think we did a similar thing where you start out writing for no money just because you want to you know actually sharpen your skills and get your name out there then you have those freelance gigs which are like four dollars an hour when you really break down <laughs> the actual ratio there then eventually you, you know you make it quote unquote big and actually get the writing job you've been looking for uh but i think a lot of people early on lack that editor who can really tell them hey like you're doing this a lot you should consider trying it a different way or you're missing out on this so for you and i've always talked about like i love just the idea of people helping people coming up and we need more more avenues for people to get better at writing before they really try to pitch to people so what was your like writing upbringing like um i was very lucky because i've always um I've always loved writing and um, 
so I got, you know, I had some great teachers in high school and then I went to college and, and did English literature with um, a sort of minor in creative writing. And so I got a lot of editing there and a lot of kind of, um, you know, they're seeing a lot of students. And so they can be quite brutal if, if something's not good enough. They've they've long lost that sensitivity to sort of students feelings. Mm. So that was really great because that was um that was really helpful just from a very academic point of view of, of having someone going, okay, this is good and this is mechanically why, yeah. um, or this is bad and this is why it's bad. Um, so that was really helpful. And then, yeah, I was sort of in the, in the wilderness for a few years, just kind of throwing stuff out to places that would either kind of take it or not, and you don't get much of a response. Um, but then going to official PlayStation magazine was um, incredible. Uh, I was lucky enough that um i had a great editor there tim clark who was so great that we are actually now together so he is my uh, <laughs> he is my my boyfriend but for, for a good you know good five years he was just my editor um and but he he was great he was again kind of you know not shy about telling you if something wasn't right but was very able to tell you why it wasn't right and to show you you know okay this is how you could have done this better or you know and and that's really great, I think, to really take the patience to help a writer understand why you've, you know, crossed a whole thing out or why. I think too much these days people, you know, send work to places, freelancers send work. It gets fundamentally changed, you mm -hmm. know, the, the whole and, and they never hear why they never get feedback on why. Um, and I think it's really important to get that feedback for everyone, for the health of the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and I was very lucky as well. We, I had a, a production editor who terrified me on official PlayStation magazine. She absolutely, like I would have <laughs> nightmares about her because she was so tough. Like if something wasn't good enough, she was often like the first, you know, she was the first gate with which it had to pass. And she would just tear you apart. If there was typos, if you hadn't fact-checked something, if a name was spelt wrong, if you'd, you know, she was just brutal. And she, you know, she used to make me cry. But yeah. She taught me so much and I was so, so grateful to her for that. And, you know, it was amazing. She she went away on maternity leave, which in England is much longer than it is in the US. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so she was away for, you know, like a year or something. And um, when she came back, we were sort of great friends because I had, you know, taken a lot of what she said on board and she was really proud of the you know, the sort of writer I'd become after a year. And I was so grateful because I knew how much of that was thanks to her. Um, and I think people like that are so important. And I think in this day and age, it's really difficult because everything's online. Everything's about speed. You may never meet the writers you're working with. Um, but I really, I, I really think it's important. And it's something certainly I hope to do, you know, the more and more I work with freelancers is try and be as much of a sort of a mentor and a teacher as possible because, it's you know it's it's good for all of us totally. the better games writing is out there yeah we want stronger games writing we want more interesting stuff i mean i love reading things i love reading takes on games that like i disagree with but are like really intelligently argued or put in a way where i'm like i've never thought about it that way and that doesn't happen if someone comes up writing basically just to themselves and never gets that second yeah. third fourth pair of eyes pairs of eyes to say like hey like try going in this direction, pushing them. And I, I totally agree about the editing thing where a lot of it, a lot of the editing I've had as a freelancer, there is just the like, 
that intro was really restructured and I was never really given the reasoning why. And like, I could maybe read it a hundred times and try to figure out like, okay, what, like, why would they do this? Was there something that didn't match here? But then I've also had the opposite where I've had those people who are just, you know, smartly explaining to me why this doesn't work and why, like what you really wanted to say is right over here, but you didn't really flesh it out. You flesh out this other thing that doesn't really support the rest and stuff like that. And uh, for me, it's just it, it's very cool to see, and I, I do think Lixol is going to be a great place for that. Um, putting now, I'm putting a lot of pressure on you guys, but from what I've seen so far, you know, um, like I said, I have only been there a week, but from what I've seen so far in the offices, there's a real feeling of that of kind of working with freelancers and sort of discussing notes and things like that. Um, and I think you know there's no reason it shouldn't stay that way because I think like I said it's so important and it it only benefits you as well like the extra two minutes it takes you to have that conversation you know suddenly you've got a freelancer that you know is more and more understands what you're looking at so yeah yeah and I think it's I think I hope you know I know it's really difficult because I know our industry is a tough one and everyone is worried about money and time and deadlines but um you know, I hope that that sort of the tradition lives on um, in a few places because it was so helpful to me and I, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have had any of the jobs I had if it hadn't been for those editors that took the time to um, tell me when stuff wasn't good or why it was good. Yeah, and like you said, eventually if you keep getting those good edits, hopefully the next time that freelance turns it in, they won't have nearly as many edits because they learned from the last time. They read yeah. all the edits and understand like, oh, I do do this or this is something I need to change. So, I mean, that's the goal. Uh, so are there any games, to kind of wrap this up, are there any games that are not VR-related coming out in the next, let's see, end of the year, early next year that really grab your attention that either that you're excited for either yourself to write about or to see other people at Glixel write about because I feel like it's been a weird holiday where there's been the VR stuff and there's the the regular big hitters but almost everything is getting pushed to early next year yeah. uh, so is there anything in that window that really grabs your attention uh, Dishonored 2 is yeah. an obvious choice for me just because for me in that it's the world building with those guys that just blows me away like you know Dishonored one, I could have just hung around in that world, finding out more about it. It kind of reminded me of almost the way Terry Pratchett used to build worlds and make mm. them, you know, a whole place with a very real um, set of rules. Love that. I'm really excited to see what The Last Guardian actually I, turns I, up. I just want to know like, at this point. Yeah, like, even just, if it's bad, I want to know. I mean, even if it's bad, like, I need that closure now. I was on official PlayStation magazine when it was being very, very first shown to a few select editors. And I remember my editor coming down with, like, a notepad full of notes and going, okay, it's like a cat-dog bird. And uh, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be really sad. And that was, God, I don't even know how many years ago that was now, like 10? Uh, it's at least 30. It feels like it. And so I'm just, <laughs> I just need that closure in my life. You know, I need to know yeah. what that game's going to be like. And then I'm also super excited by, um, which is kind of a weird one, but Detroit Becoming Human, the new um, Quantic Dream game. Saw a bit of that E3. We Love might like those... the same games, by the way. Yeah. I think we're both yeah. on the same boat because, like, that's a, these, all three of these games are games that I would have mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I love, you know, even if they don't always get it spot on like mm. i love what those guys try and do and i always think you get interesting results and it's not for everyone that kind of gameplay but it's for me like i, I think yeah. heavy rain is great and i'm gonna stand by heavy that rain. till no, maybe the end of time until i play it again and maybe don't think it's great but 
uh, I, I, I'm on the same boat of like, even if this doesn't succeed, as long as it does interesting things and tries and goes for it, maybe hits some of the mark. Like, I want to see that. Like, that's much more fascinating than the newest Call of Duty. I mean, no, you know, I like yeah. the new Call of Duty, but when yeah, it... no, like I'm happily playing through Gears of War at the moment, but I'm equally, you know, I, I'm equally excited by sort of games that are doing something different. We Happy Few, I should mention as well, because mm-hmm. um. I love the idea of that game. Like, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I've I've played the sort of early access. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to be like when it's the sort of finished finished product, but love the sort of idea of this kind of world of depression with, like, magic happy pills and it's all gone wrong. That's that's really fascinating to me as well. Yeah, the more weird games with crazy stories, the better. That's what yeah. I will always say. Uh, so, Rachel, where can people find you on social media otherwise? And is there anything that you were working on slash just wrote now that you've only been there for a week and I expect you've written 100 features uh, that you'd like to promote? Yeah, I mean, my first piece uh, went up, which was um, a piece about the new uh, Valve's prototype VR controllers, which you can find um, at Glixel. Probably the easiest way to find us is via our Twitter, which is... Um, at Glixel. We're also on Facebook where you can find our sort of, um, we've just started doing, I did my first one on Friday, a sort of live Facebook live sort of video podcast, if you will, which is a good way to see what we all look like. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, you can find me on social media at, uh, at Twitter at, at the Rachel Weber. So, um, and I'll always be promoting Glixel stuff there as well. So that's a good way to find out what I'm doing. Um, and cause I do sort of Glixel is my main job, but I also write about books on the side as well for a site called bookriot.com. So, uh, if you're interested in books and games, then you can find some of my stuff there too. <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, genuinely... I think it's been great fun. It's been really great fun. Yeah. And I'm like genuinely excited for like Glixel and its full release. Like it's just one of those sites that I do hope it, you know, first becomes the uh grantland of video games and then actually becomes the Glixel once it like really breaks into its own <laughs> like i'm looking forward to it because the more places with interesting writing the more places that want to tackle games in a way that's beyond the regular review and preview cycle i'm all aboard and uh having talked to you and john i'm i feel very confident that it is in the right hands <laughs> well thank you very much well yeah thank you for you know backing us this early on and you know hopefully we'll do you proud Great. I expect my check in the mail pretty soon for all this exposure. (laughs) So thanks again. And uh, thanks everyone for listening and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.